Hey everyone, here's some supplemental stuff. I'm gonna call them full episodes because that's what they are. They're full episodes and it's not more Devil's Dictionary new. It's more Oz. I figured I'd uh, throw in that book that we skipped over that just had a little bit of Dorothy but not a lot of Dorothy. It's the second Oz book and it just kind of has some Dorothy but it does fill in the gaps between... Uh, book one and book three if you're like wait a minute what happened hey what's this thing about this who's that what huh we're gonna have it and you know what we're gonna give it to you and you know who's gonna help us give it to you found item clothing of course you can get all of your favorite cool guy cool gal cool everyone t-shirts i love my uh my Revenge of the Nerds uh, booger-type t-shirts that I have, like uh, Greasy Tonys and uh, other ones that I'm not going to say because this is a family episode. So, you know, hey, if you want sassy t-shirts from your favorite 80s and 90s films, founditemclothing.com. And of course, of course, of course, Highland Cow Wooly Bull Slippers. They're just called Highland Cow Slippers, but I like saying Wooly Bull. All right, check out... Um, bunnyslippers.com. Hey, do you like uh, those those uh, slippers that Val Kilmer's character, Christopher Knight, I think it is, wore in Real Genius? Oh, they've got everything you need, even the little dealy bobber things, the alien uh, things that he wore. They've got the whole outfit. I mean, you have to supply the pants and the socks and the underwear. I don't know if he wore underwear. That's, that's up to you. That's between you and your creator, or your concept of philosophy of whatever i don't care hey you want to listen to some oz i've got some oz and also 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 not for this we've got uh some ken height coming up on people's guide to the cthulhu mythos our monthly show about the cthulhu mythos you know it you like it maybe hopefully i don't know <laughs> and ken height's going to be talking about ghouls in literature because we're going to be talking about ghouls and also, we've got some stuff coming up from David Heath about alternate forms of Dracula. And what else do we have coming up? We've got some talk about the Devil's Dictionary with David Heath as well. So, look forward to that. Hey, do you have something that you want to send me? Do you have questions that you want to ask? We'll do mailbag episodes here and once in a while, but right now we need more people to send some stuff. We got some real good questions from a guy named Mateo. Mateo, thank you for your questions. And anyone else out there who has questions for us, go to pgttcm.com, contact, or ask questions on our Facebook group for People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos and Black Clock Audio Tales. And we're also on Instagram. Here we go! Chapter 13. Scraps and the Scarecrow. From here on, the country improved, and the desert places began to give way to fertile spots. Still no houses were yet to be seen near the road. There were some hills with valleys between them, and on reaching the top of one of these hills, the traveler found before them a high wall running to the right and the left as far as their eyes could reach. Immediately in front of them, where the wall crossed the roadway, stood a gate having stout iron bars that extended from top to bottom. They found, on coming nearer, that this gate was locked with a great padlock, rusty through lack of use. "'Well,' said Scraps, "'I guess we'll stop here.' 
"'It's a good guess,' replied Ojo. "'Our way is barred by this great wall and gate. "'It looks as if no one had passed through in many years.' "'Looks are deceiving,' declared the shaggy man, laughing at their disappointed faces. "'And this barrier is the most deceiving thing in all Oz.' "'It prevents our going any farther, anyhow,' said Scraps. "'There is no one to mind the gate and let people through, and we've no key to the padlock.' "'True,' replied Ojo, going a little nearer to peep through the bars of the gate. "'What shall we do, Shaggy Man?' If we had wings, we might fly over the wall, but we cannot climb it, and unless we get to the Emerald City, I won't be able to find the things to restore Unc Nunky to life. All very true, answered the shaggy man quietly, but I know this gate, having passed through it many times. How? they all eagerly inquired. I'll show you how, said he. He stood Ojo in the middle of the road, and placed Scraps just behind him, with her padded hands on his shoulders. After the patchwork girl came the woozy, who held a part of her skirt in his mouth. Then, last of all, was the glass cat, holding fast to the woozy's tail with her glass jaws. "'Now,' said the shaggy man, "'you must all shut your eyes tight and keep them shut until I tell you to open them.' "'I can't,' objected Scraps. "'My eyes are buttons, and they won't shut.' So the shaggy man tied his red handkerchief over the patchwork girl's eyes, and examined all the others to make sure they had their eyes fast shut and could see nothing. "'What's the game, anyhow, blind man's buff?' asked Scraps. "'Keep quiet,' commanded the shaggy man sternly. "'All ready? Then follow me.' He took Ojo's hand and led him forward over the road of yellow bricks toward the gate. Holding fast to one another, they all followed in a row, expecting every minute to bump against the iron bars. The shaggy man also had his eyes closed, but marched straight ahead nevertheless, and after he had taken one hundred steps by actual count, he stopped and said, "'Now you may open your eyes.' They did so, and to their astonishment found the wall and the gateway far behind them, while in front the former blue country of the munchkins had given way to green fields, with pretty farmhouses scattered among them. "'That wall,' explained the shaggy man, "'is what is called an optical illusion. It is quite real while you have your eyes open, but if you are not looking at it, the barrier doesn't exist at all. It's the same way with many other evils in life. They seem to exist.' and yet it's all seeming and not true. You will notice that the wall, or what we thought was a wall, separates the Munchkin country from the green country that surrounds the Emerald City, which lies exactly in the center of Oz. There are two roads of yellow bricks through the Munchkin country, but the one we followed is the best of the two. Dorothy once traveled the other way, and met with more dangers than we did. But all our troubles are over for the present, as another day's journey will bring us to the great Emerald City.'
They were delighted to know this, and proceeded with new courage. In a couple of hours they stopped at a farmhouse, where the people were very hospitable and invited them to dinner. The farm folk regarded Scraps with much curiosity, but no great astonishment, for they were accustomed to seeing extraordinary people in the land of Oz. The woman of this house got her needle and thread and sewed up the holes made by the porcupine quills in the patchwork girl's body, after which Scraps was assured she looked as beautiful as ever. "'You ought to have a hat to wear,' remarked the woman, "'for that would keep the sun from fading the colors of your face. I have some patches and scraps put away, and if you will wait two or three days I'll make you a lovely hat that will match the rest of you.' "'Never mind the hat,' said Scraps, shaking her yarn braids. "'It's a kind offer.' but we can't stop. I can't see that my colors have faded a particle as yet, can you?" "'Not much,' replied the woman. "'You are still very gorgeous, in spite of your long journey.' The children of the house wanted to keep the glass cat to play with, so Bungle was offered a good home if she would remain, but the cat was too much interested in Ojo's adventures and refused to stop. "'Children are rough playmates,' she remarked to the shaggy man. "'And although this home is more pleasant than that of the crooked magician, I fear I would soon be smashed to pieces by the boys and girls.' After they had rested themselves, they renewed their journey, finding the road now smooth and pleasant to walk upon, and the country growing more beautiful the nearer they drew to the Emerald City. By and by Ojo began to walk on the green grass, looking carefully around him. "'What are you trying to find?' asked Scraps. "'A six-leaved clover,' said he. "'Don't do that!' exclaimed the shaggy man earnestly. "'It's against the law to pick a six-leaved clover. You must wait until you get Ozma's consent.' "'She wouldn't know it,' declared the boy. "'Ozma knows many things,' said the shaggy man. In her room is a magic picture that shows any scene in the land of Oz where strangers or travelers happen to be. She may be watching the picture of us even now and noticing everything that we do. Does she always watch the magic picture? asked Ojo. Not always, for she has many other things to do, but as I said, she may be watching us this very minute. "'I don't care,' said Ojo, in an obstinate tone of voice. "'Ozma's only a girl.' The shaggy man looked at him in surprise. "'You ought to care for Ozma,' said he, "'if you expect to save your uncle. "'For if you displease our powerful ruler, "'your journey will surely prove a failure. "'Whereas if you make a friend of Ozma, "'she will gladly assist you.' As for her being a girl, that is another reason why you should obey her laws, if you are courteous and polite. Everyone in Oz loves Ozma, and hates her enemies, for she is as just as she is powerful. Ojo sulked a while, but finally returned to the road and kept away from the green clover. The boy was moody and bad-tempered for an hour or two afterward because he could really see no harm in picking a six-leaved clover if he found one, 
and in spite of what the shaggy man had said, he considered Ozma's law to be unjust. They presently came to a beautiful grove of tall and stately trees, through which the road wound in sharp curves, first one way and then another. As they were walking through this grove, they heard someone in the distance singing, and the sound grew nearer and nearer, until they could distinguish the words, although the bend in the road still hid the singer. The song was something like this. Here's to the hale old bale of straw that's cut from waving grain, the sweetest sight man ever saw in forest, dell, or plain. It fills me with a crinkling joy, a straw stack to behold, for then I pad this lucky boy with strands of yellow gold. Ah! exclaimed the shaggy man. Here comes my friend the scarecrow. What? A live scarecrow? asked Ojo. Yes, the one I told you of. He's a splendid fellow, and very intelligent. You'll like him, I'm sure. Just then the famous scarecrow of Oz came around the bend in the road, riding astride a wooden sawhorse which was so small that its rider's legs nearly touched the ground. The scarecrow wore the blue dress of the munchkins in which country he was made, and on his head was set a peaked hat with a flat brim trimmed with tinkling bells. A rope was tied around the waist to hold him in shape, for he was stuffed with straw in every part of him except the top of his head, where at one time the Wizard of Oz had placed sawdust mixed with needles and pins to sharpen his wits. The head itself was merely a bag of cloth, fastened to the body at the neck, and on the front of this bag was painted the face, ears, eyes, nose, and mouth. The Scarecrow's face was very interesting, for it bore a comical and yet winning expression, although one eye was a bit larger than the other, and the ears were not mates. The munchkin farmer who had made the Scarecrow had neglected to sew him together with close stitches, and therefore some of the straw with which he was stuffed was inclined to stick out between the seams. His hands consisted of padded white gloves, with the fingers long and rather limp, and on his feet he wore munchkin boots of blue leather with broad turns at the tops of them. The sawhorse was almost as curious as his rider. It had been rudely made, in the beginning, to saw logs upon, so that its body was a short length of a log, and its legs were stout branches fitted into four holes made in the body. The tail was formed by a small branch that had been left on the log, while the head was a gnarled bump on one end of the body. Two knots of wood formed the eyes, and the mouth was a gash chopped in the log. When the sawhorse first came to life, it had no ears at all, and so could not hear. But the boy who then owned him had whittled two ears out of bark and stuck them in the head, after which the sawhorse heard very distinctly. This queer wooden horse was a great favorite with Princess Ozma, who had caused the bottoms of its legs to be shod with plates of gold, so the wood would not wear away. 
Its saddle was made of cloth of gold, richly encrusted with precious gems. It had never worn a bridle. As the scarecrow came in sight of the party of travelers, he reined in his wooden steed and dismounted, greeting the shaggy man with a smiling nod. Then he turned to stare at the patchwork girl in wonder, while she in turn stared at him. "'Shags,' he whispered, drawing the shaggy man aside, "'pat me into shape, there's a good fellow.' While his friend punched and patted the scarecrow's body to smooth out the humps, Scraps turned to Ojo and whispered, "'Row me out, please. I've sagged down dreadfully from walking so much, and men like to see a stately figure.' She then fell upon the ground, and the boy rolled her back and forth like a rolling pin, until the cotton had filled all the spaces in her patchwork covering, and the body had lengthened to its fullest extent. Scraps and the Scarecrow both finished their hasty toilets at the same time, and again they faced each other. "'Allow me, Miss Patchwork,' said the shaggy man, "'to present my friend the right royal Scarecrow of Oz. Scarecrow, this is Miss Scraps Patches. Scraps, this is Scarecrow. Scarecrow, Scraps, Scraps, Scarecrow.' They both bowed with much dignity. "'Forgive me for staring so rudely,' said the Scarecrow. "'But you are the most beautiful sight my eyes have ever beheld.' "'That is a high compliment from one who is himself so beautiful,' murmured Scraps, casting down her suspender button eyes by lowering her head. "'But tell me, good sir, are you not a trifle lumpy?' "'Yes, of course, that's my straw, you know.' It bunches up sometimes, in spite of all my efforts to keep it even. Doesn't your straw ever bunch? Oh, I'm stuffed with cotton, said Scraps. It never bunches, but it's inclined to pack down and make me sag. But cotton is high-grade stuffing. I may say it is even more stylish, not to say aristocratic, than straw, said the Scarecrow politely. Still, it is but proper that one so entrancingly lovely should have the best stuffing there is going. I—I'm uh, so glad I've met you, Miss Scraps. Introduce us again, Shaggy. Once is enough, replied the Shaggy Man, laughing at his friend's enthusiasm. Then tell me where you found her, and—dear me, what a queer cat! What are you made of, gelatin? "'Pure glass,' answered the cat, proud to have attracted the scarecrow's attention. "'I am much more beautiful than the patchwork girl. I'm transparent, and Scraps isn't. I've pink brains, you can see them work, and I've a ruby heart, finely polished, while Scraps hasn't any heart at all.' "'No more have I,' said the scarecrow, shaking hands with Scraps as if to congratulate her on the fact. I've a friend, the Tin Woodman, who has a heart, but I find I get along pretty well without one. And so, well, well, here's a little munchkin boy, too. Shake hands, my little man. How are you? Ojo placed his hand in the flabby stuffed glove that served the Scarecrow for a hand, and the Scarecrow pressed it so cordially that the straw in his glove crackled. 
Meantime the woozy had approached the sawhorse and begun to sniff at it. The sawhorse resented this familiarity, and with a sudden kick pounded the woozy squarely on its head with one gold-shod foot. "'Take that, you monster!' he cried angrily. The woozy never even winked. "'To be sure,' he said, "'I'll take anything I have to. But don't make me angry, you wooden beast, or my eyes will flash fire and burn you up.' The sawhorse rolled its knot-eyes wickedly and kicked again, but the woozy trotted away and said to the scarecrow, "'What a sweet disposition that creature has! I advise you to chop it up for kindling wood and use me to ride upon. My back is flat, and you can't fall off.' "'I think the trouble is that you haven't been properly introduced,' said the scarecrow, regarding the woozy with much wonder, for he had never seen such a queer animal before. The sawhorse is the favorite steed of Princess Ozma, the ruler of the Land of Oz, and he lives in a stable decorated with pearls and emeralds at the rear of the royal palace. He is swift as the wind, untiring, and is kind to his friends. All the people of Oz respect the sawhorse highly, and when I visit Ozma she sometimes allows me to ride him, as I am doing today. Now you know what an important personage the sawhorse is, and if someone, perhaps yourself, will tell me your name, your rank and station, and your history, it will give me pleasure to relate them to the sawhorse. This will lead to mutual respect and friendship. The woozy was somewhat abashed by this speech, and did not know how to reply, but Ojo said, "'This square beast is called the woozy, and he isn't of much importance except that he has three hairs growing on the tip of his tail.' The scarecrow looked and saw that this was true. "'But,' said he in a puzzled way, "'what makes those three hairs important? The shaggy man has thousands of hairs.' but no one has ever accused him of being important. So Ojo related the sad story of Unc Nunkie's transformation into a marble statue, and told how he had set out to find the things the crooked magician wanted in order to make a charm that would restore his uncle to life. One of the requirements was three hairs from a woozy's tail, but not being able to pull out the hairs, they had been obliged to take the woozy with him. The scarecrow looked grave as he listened, and he shook his head several times as if in disapproval. "'We must see Ozma about this matter,' he said. "'That crooked magician is breaking the law by practicing magic without a license, and I'm not sure Ozma will allow him to restore your uncle to life.' "'Already I have warned the boy of that,' declared the shaggy man. At this Ojo began to cry. "'I want my Unc-Nunkie!' he exclaimed. "'I know how he can be restored to life, and I'm going to do it, Ozma or no Ozma. What right has this girl ruler to keep my Unc-Nunkie a statue forever?' "'Don't worry about that just now,' advised the Scarecrow. "'Go on to the Emerald City, and when you reach it, have the Shaggy Man take you to see Dorothy. Tell her your story, and I'm sure she will help you.' Dorothy is Ozma's best friend. 
and if you can win her to your side, your uncle is pretty safe to live again. Then he turned to the woozy and said, I'm afraid you are not important enough to be introduced to the sawhorse, after all. I'm a better beast than he is, retorted the woozy indignantly. My eyes can flash fire, and his can't. Is it true? inquired the scarecrow, turning to the munchkin boy. Yes, said Ojo, and told how the woozy had set fire to the fence. Have you any other accomplishments? asked the scarecrow. I have a most terrible growl. That is, sometimes, said the woozy, as Scraps laughed merrily and the shaggy man smiled. But the patchwork girl's laugh made the scarecrow forget all about the woozy. He said to her, What an admirable young lady you are! And what jolly good company! We must be better acquainted, for never before have I met a girl with such exquisite coloring or such natural artless manners. No wonder they call you the wise scarecrow, replied Scraps. When you arrive at the Emerald City, I will see you again, continued the scarecrow. Just now I am going to call upon an old friend, an ordinary young lady named Ginger, who has promised to repaint my left ear for me. You may have noticed that the paint on my left ear has peeled off and faded, which affects my hearing on that side. Ginger always fixes me up when I get weather-worn. When do you expect to return to the Emerald City? asked the shaggy man. I'll be there this evening, for I'm anxious to have a long talk with Miss Scraps. How is it, Sawhorse? Are you equal to a swift run? Anything that suits you suits me, returned the wooden horse. So the scarecrow mounted to the jewel saddle and waved his hat when the sawhorse darted away so swiftly that they were out of sight in an instant. End of chapter 13 Man, remarked the munchkin boy when the party had resumed its journey. And so nice and polite, added Scraps, bobbing her head. I think he is the handsomest man I've seen since I came to life. "'Handsome is as handsome does,' quoted the shaggy man. "'But we must admit that no living scarecrow is handsomer. "'The chief merit of my friend is that he is a great thinker, "'and in Oz it is considered good policy to follow his advice.' "'I didn't notice any brains in his head,' observed the glass cat. "'You can't see him work, but there they are all right,' declared the shaggy man." I hadn't much confidence in his brains myself when first I came to Oz, for a humbug wizard gave them to him, but I was soon convinced that the Scarecrow is really wise, and unless his brains make him so, such wisdom is unaccountable. Is the Wizard of Oz a humbug? asked Ojo. Not now. He was once, but he has reformed and now assists Glenda the Good, who is the royal sorceress of Oz, and the only one licensed to practice magic or sorcery. Glinda has taught our old wizard a good many clever things, so he is no longer a humbug. They walked a little while in silence, and then Nojo said, If Ozma forbids the crooked magician to restore Unc Nunky to life, what shall I do? The shaggy man shook his head. In that case you can't do anything, he said. But don't be discouraged yet. 
we will go to Princess Dorothy and tell her your troubles, and then we will let her talk to Ozma. Dorothy has the kindest little heart in the world, and she has been through so many troubles herself that she is sure to sympathize with you. Is Dorothy the little girl who came here from Kansas? asked the boy. Yes, in Kansas she was Dorothy Gale. I used to know her there, and she brought me to the land of Oz. But now Ozma has made her a princess, and Dorothy's Aunt Em and Uncle Henry are here too. Here the shaggy man uttered a long sigh, and then he continued, "'It's a queer country, this land of Oz, but I like it nevertheless.' "'What is queer about it?' asked Scraps. "'You, for instance,' said he. "'Did you see no girls as beautiful as I am in your own country?' she inquired. "'None with the same gorgeous variegated beauty,' he confessed. In America a girl stuffed with cotton wouldn't be alive, nor would anyone think of making a girl out of a patchwork quilt. "'What a queer country America must be!' she exclaimed in great surprise. "'The scarecrow, whom you say is wise, told me I am the most beautiful creature he has ever seen.' "'I know, and perhaps you are, from a scarecrow point of view,' replied the shaggy man. But why he smiled as he said it, Scraps could not imagine. As they drew nearer to the Emerald City, the travelers were filled with admiration for the splendid scenery they beheld. Handsome houses stood on both sides of the road, and each had a green lawn before it as well as a pretty flower garden. "'In another hour,' said the shaggy man, "'we shall come in sight of the walls of the royal city.' He was walking ahead with Scraps, and behind them came the Woozy and the Glass Cat. Ojo had lagged behind, for in spite of the warnings he had received, the boy's eyes were fastened on the clover that bordered the road of yellow bricks, and he was eager to discover if such a thing as a six-leaved clover really existed. Suddenly he stopped short, and bent over to examine the ground more closely. Yes! Here, at last, was a clover with six spreading leaves. He counted them carefully to make sure. In an instant his heart leaped with joy, for this was one of the important things he had come for, one of the things that would restore dear Unc Nunky to life. He glanced ahead and saw that none of his companions was looking back. Neither were any other people about, for it was midway between two houses. The temptation was too strong to be resisted. "'I might search for weeks and weeks, and never find another six-leaved clover,' he told himself, and, quickly plucking the stem from the plant, he placed the prized clover in his basket, covering it with the other things he carried there. Then, trying to look as if nothing had happened, he hurried forward and overtook his comrades. The Emerald City, which is the most splendid as well as the most beautiful city in any fairyland, is surrounded by a high, thick wall of green marble, polished smooth and set with glistening emeralds. There are four gates, one facing the Munchkin Country, one facing the Country of the Winkies, one facing the Country of the Quadlings, and one facing the Country of the Gillikins. The Emerald City lies directly in the center of these four important countries of Oz. 
The gates had bars of pure gold, and on either side of each gateway were built high towers, from which floated gay banners. Other towers were set at distances along the walls, which were broad enough for four people to walk abreast upon. The enclosure, all green and gold and glittering with precious gems, was indeed a wonderful sight to greet our travelers, who first observed it from the top of a little hill, but beyond the wall was the vast city it surrounded, and hundreds of jeweled spires, domes, and minarets, flaunting flags and banners, reared their crests far above the towers of the gateways. In the center of the city our friends could see the tops of many magnificent trees, some nearly as tall as the spires of the buildings, and the shaggy man told them that these trees were in the royal gardens of Princess Ozma. They stood a long time on the hilltop, feasting their eyes on the splendor of the Emerald City. "'Wee!' exclaimed Scraps, clasping her padded hands in ecstasy. "'That'll do for me to live in, all right. No more of the munchkin country for these patches, and no more of the crooked magician.' "'Why, you belong to Dr. Pipt,' replied Ojo, looking at her in amazement. "'You were made for a servant, Scraps. So you are personal property and not your own mistress.' "'Bother Dr. Pip. If he wants me, let him come here and get me. I'm not going back to his den of my own accord.' "'That's certain. Only one place in the land of Oz is fit to live in, and that's the Emerald City. It's lovely!' It's almost as beautiful as I am, Ojo. In this country, remarked the shaggy man, people live wherever our ruler tells them to. It wouldn't do to have everyone live in the Emerald City, you know, for some must plow the land and raise grains and fruits and vegetables, while others chop wood in the forests or fish in the rivers or herd the sheep and the cattle. Poor things, said Scraps. I'm not sure they are not happier than the city people replied the shaggy man. There's a freedom and independence in country life that not even the Emerald City can give one. I know that lots of the city people would like to get back to the land. The Scarecrow lives in the country, and so do the Tin Woodman and Jack Pumpkinhead. Yet all three would be welcome to live in Ozma's palace if they cared to. Too much splendor becomes tiresome, you know, but if we're to reach the Emerald City before sundown, we must hurry, for it is yet a long way off. The entrancing sight of the city had put new energy into them all, and they hurried forward with lighter steps than before. There was much to interest them along the roadway, for the houses were now set more closely together, and they met a good many people who were coming or going from one place to another. All these seemed happy-faced, pleasant people, who nodded graciously to the strangers as they passed, and exchanged words of greeting. At last they reached the great gateway, just as the sun was setting, and adding its red glow to the glitter of the emeralds on the green walls and spires. Somewhere inside the city a band could be heard playing sweet music, a soft, subdued hum, as of many voices, reached their ears. From the neighboring yards came the low mooing of cows waiting to be milked. They were almost at the gate 
when the golden bars slid back and a tall soldier stepped out and faced them. Ojo thought he had never seen so tall a man before. The soldier wore a handsome green and gold uniform with a tall hat in which was a waving plume, and he had a belt thickly encrusted with jewels. But the most peculiar thing about him was his long green beard, which fell far below his waist and perhaps made him seem taller than he really was. "'Halt!' said the soldier with the green whiskers, not in a stern voice, but rather in a friendly tone. They halted before he spoke and stood looking at him. "'Good evening, Colonel,' said the shaggy man. "'What's the news since I left? Anything important?' "'Bellina has hatched out thirteen new chickens,' replied the soldier with the green whiskers. "'And they're the cutest little fluffy yellow balls you ever saw. "'The yellow hen is mighty proud of those children, I can tell you.' "'She has a right to be,' agreed the shaggy man. "'Let me see. That's about seven thousand chicks she has hatched out, isn't it, General?' "'That at least,' was the reply. You will have to visit Bellina and congratulate her. It will give me pleasure to do that, said the shaggy man. But you will observe that I have brought some strangers home with me. I am going to take them to see Dorothy. One moment, please, said the soldier, barring the way, as they started to enter the gate. I am on duty, and I have orders to execute. Is anyone in your party named Ojo the Unlucky? "'Why, that's me!' cried Ojo, astonished at hearing his name on the lips of a stranger. The soldier with the green whiskers nodded. "'I thought so,' said he. "'And I am sorry to announce that it is my painful duty to arrest you.' "'Arrest me!' exclaimed the boy. "'What for?' "'I haven't looked to see,' answered the soldier. Then he drew a paper from his breast-pocket and glanced at it. "'Oh, yes!' You are to be arrested for willfully breaking one of the laws of Oz. Breaking a law, said Scraps. Nonsense, soldier, you're joking. Not this time, returned the soldier with a sigh. My dear child, what are you, a rummage sail or a guess-me-quick? In me you behold the bodyguard of our gracious ruler, Princess Ozma, as well as the royal army of Oz and the police force of the Emerald City. "'And only one man?' exclaimed the patchwork girl. "'Only one, and plenty enough. In my official positions I've had nothing to do for a good many years, so long that I began to fear I was absolutely useless until today. An hour ago I was called to the presence of Her Highness, Ozma of Oz, and told to arrest a boy named Ojo the Unlucky, who was journeying from the Munchkin country to the Emerald City, and would arrive in a short time. This command so astonished me that I nearly fainted, for it is the first time anyone has merited arrest since I can remember. You are rightly named Ojo the Unlucky, my poor boy, since you have broken a law of Oz. "'But you are wrong,' said Scraps. "'Ozma is wrong. You are all wrong, for Ojo has broken no law.' "'Then he will soon be free again,' replied the soldier with the green whiskers. 
Anyone accused of crime is given a fair trial by our ruler and has every chance to prove his innocence. But just now Ozma's orders must be obeyed. With this he took from his pocket a pair of handcuffs made of gold and set with rubies and diamonds, and these he snapped over Ojo's wrists. End of chapter 14 Chapter 15 Ozma's Prisoner The boy was so bewildered by this calamity that he made no resistance at all. He knew very well he was guilty, but it surprised him that Ozma also knew it. He wondered how she had found out so soon that he had picked the six-leaved clover. He handed his basket to Scraps and said, "'Keep that until I get out of prison. If I never get out, take it to the crooked magician to whom it belongs.' The shaggy man had been gazing earnestly in the boy's face, uncertain whether to defend him or not. But something he read in Ojo's expression made him draw back and refuse to interfere to save him. The shaggy man was greatly surprised and grieved, but he knew that Ozma never made mistakes, and so Ojo must really have broken the law of Oz. The soldier with the green whiskers now led them all through the gate and into a little room built in the wall. Here sat a jolly little man, richly dressed in green, and having around his neck a heavy gold chain, to which a number of great golden keys were attached. This was the guardian of the gate, and at the moment they entered his room he was playing a tune upon a mouth-organ. "'Listen,' he said, holding up his hand for silence. I've just composed a tune called The Speckled Alligator. It's in patch time, which is much superior to ragtime, and I've composed it in honor of the patchwork girl who has just arrived. How did you know I had arrived? asked Scraps, much interested. It's my business to know who's coming, for I'm the guardian of the gate. Keep quiet while I play you the speckled alligator. It wasn't a very bad tune, nor a very good one, but all listened respectfully while he shut his eyes and swayed his head from side to side and blew the notes from the little instrument. When it was all over, the soldier with the green whiskers said, Guardian, I have here a prisoner. Good gracious! A prisoner? cried the little man, jumping up from his chair. Which one? Not the shaggy man. No, uh, this boy. Ah, I hope his fault is as small as himself, said the guardian of the gate. But what can he have done, and what made him do it? Can't say, replied the soldier. All I know is that he has broken the law. But no one ever does that. Then he must be innocent, and soon will be released. I hope you are right, guardian. Just now I am ordered to take him to prison. Get me a prisoner's robe from your official wardrobe. The guardian unlocked a closet and took from it a white robe, which the soldier threw over Ojo. It covered him from head to foot, but had two holes just in front of his eyes, so he could see where to go. In this attire the boy presented a very quaint appearance. As the guardian unlocked a gate leading from his room into the streets of the Emerald City, 
The shaggy man said to Scraps, I think I shall take you directly to Dorothy, as the Scarecrow advised, and the Glass Cat and the Woozy may come with us. Ojo must go to prison with the soldier with the green whiskers, but he will be well treated, and you need not worry about him. What will they do with him? asked Scraps. That I cannot tell. Since I came to the land of Oz, no one has ever been arrested or imprisoned, until Ojo broke the law. Seems to me that girl ruler of yours is making a big fuss over nothing, remarked Scraps, tossing her yarn hair out of her eyes with a jerk of her patched head. I don't know what Ojo has done, but it couldn't be anything very bad, for you and I were with him all the time. The shaggy man made no reply to this speech, and presently the patchwork girl forgot all about Ojo in her admiration of the wonderful city she had entered. They soon separated from the munchkin boy, who was led by the soldier with the green whiskers down a side street toward the prison. Ojo felt very miserable and greatly ashamed of himself. But he was beginning to grow angry, because he was treated in such a disgraceful manner. Instead of entering the splendid Emerald City as a respectable traveler who was entitled to a welcome and to hospitality, he was being brought in as a criminal, handcuffed and in a robe that told all he met of his deep disgrace. Ojo was by nature gentle and affectionate and if he had disobeyed the law of Oz, it was to restore his dear Unc-Nucky to life. His fault was more thoughtless than wicked, but that did not alter the fact that he had committed a fault. At first he had felt sorrow and remorse, but the more he thought about the unjust treatment he had received, unjust merely because he considered it so, the more he resented his arrest, blaming Ozma for making foolish laws, and then punishing folks who broke them. Only a six-leaved clover, a tiny green plant growing neglected and trampled underfoot. What harm could there be in picking it? Ojo began to think Ozma must be a very bad and oppressive ruler for such a lovely fairyland as Oz. The shaggy man said the people loved her, but how could they? The little munchkin boy was so busy thinking these things, which many guilty prisoners have thought before him, that he scarcely noticed all the splendor of the city streets through which they passed. Whenever they met any of the happy, smiling people, the boy turned his head away in shame, although no one knew who was beneath the robe. By and by they reached a house built just beside the great city wall, but in a quiet, retired place. It was a pretty house, neatly painted and with many windows. Before it was a garden filled with blooming flowers. The soldier with the green whiskers led Ojo up the gravel path to the front door on which he knocked. A woman opened the door, and seeing Ojo in his white robe, exclaimed, oh, "'Goodness me! A prisoner at last! But what a small one, soldier!' The size doesn't matter, Tolly Diggle, my dear. The fact remains that he is a prisoner, said the soldier, and this being the prison, and you the jailer, it is my duty to place the prisoner in your charge. 
True. Come in, then, and I'll give you a receipt for him. They entered the house and passed through a hall to a large circular room, where the woman pulled the robe off from Ojo and looked at him with kindly interest. The boy, on his part, was gazing around him in amazement, for never had he dreamed of such a magnificent apartment as this in which he stood. The roof of the dome was of colored glass, worked into beautiful designs. The walls were paneled with plates of gold, decorated with gems of great size and many colors, and upon the tiled floor were soft rugs delightful to walk upon. The furniture was framed in gold and upholstered in satin brocade, and it consisted of easy chairs, divans, and stools in great variety. Also there were several tables with mirror tops, and cabinets filled with rare and curious things. In one place a case filled with books stood against the wall, and elsewhere Ojo saw a cupboard containing all sorts of games. "'May I stay here a little while before I go to prison?' asked the boy pleadingly. "'Why, this is your prison,' replied Tolly Diggle, "'and in me behold your jailer. Take off those handcuffs, soldier, for it is impossible for anyone to escape from this house.' "'I know that very well,' replied the soldier, and at once unlocked the handcuffs and released the prisoner. The woman touched a button on the wall and lighted a big chandelier that hung suspended from the ceiling, for it was growing dark outside. Then she seated herself at a desk and asked, "'What name?' "'Ojo the Unlucky,' answered the soldier with the green whiskers. "'Unlucky? Ah, that accounts for it,' said she. "'What crime?' "'Breaking a law of Oz.' "'All right, there's your receipt, soldier.' and now I am responsible for the prisoner. I'm glad of it, for this is the first time I've ever had anything to do in my official capacity, remarked the jailer in a pleased tone. It's the same with me, Tolly Diggle, laughed the soldier, but my task is finished, and I must go and report to Ozma that I've done my duty like a faithful police force, a loyal army, and an honest bodyguard, as I hope I am. Saying this, he nodded farewell to Tolly Diggle and Ojo, and went away. "'Now, then,' said the woman briskly, "'I must get you some supper, for you are doubtless hungry. What would you prefer, planked whitefish, omelette with jelly, or mutton chops with gravy?' Ojo thought about it, then he said, "'I'll take the chops, if you please.' "'Very well. Amuse yourself while I'm gone. I won't be long.' and then she went out by a door and left the prisoner alone. Ojo was much astonished, for not only was this unlike any prison he had ever heard of, but he was being treated more as a guest than a criminal. There were many windows, and they had no locks. There were three doors to the room, and none were bolted. He cautiously opened one of the doors, and found it led into a hallway, but he had no intention of trying to escape. If his jailer was willing to trust him in this way, he would not betray her trust, and moreover a hot supper was being prepared for him, and his prison was very pleasant and comfortable. So he took a book from the case and sat down in a big chair to look at the pictures. This amused him, 
until the woman came in with a large tray and spread a cloth on one of the tables. Then she arranged his supper, which proved the most varied and delicious meal Ojo had ever eaten in his life. Tollydiggle sat near him while he ate, sewing on some fancy work she held in her lap. When he had finished, she cleared the table, and then read to him a story from one of the books. "'Is this really a prison?' he asked, when she had finished reading. "'Indeed it is,' she replied. "'It is the only prison in the land of Oz.' "'And I am a prisoner?' "'Bless the child, of course!' "'Then why is the prison so fine, and why are you so kind to me?' he earnestly asked. Tollydiggle seemed surprised by the question, but she presently answered, "'We consider a prisoner unfortunate. He is unfortunate in two ways, because he has done something wrong and because he is deprived of his liberty. Therefore we should treat him kindly because of his misfortune.' for otherwise he would become hard and bitter and would not be sorry he had done wrong. Ozma thinks that one who has committed a fault did so because he was not strong and brave. Therefore she puts him in prison to make him strong and brave. When that is accomplished, he is no longer a prisoner, but a good and loyal citizen, and everyone is glad that he is now strong enough to resist doing wrong. You see, it is kindness that makes one strong and brave, and so we are kind to our prisoners. Ojo thought this over very carefully. I had an idea, said he, that prisoners were always treated harshly to punish them. That would be dreadful, cried Tollydiggle. Isn't one punished enough in knowing he has done wrong? Don't you wish, Ojo, with all your heart, that you had not been disobedient and broken a law of Oz? I... I hate to be different from other people, he admitted. Yes, one likes to be respected as highly as his neighbors are, said the woman. When you are tried and found guilty, you will be obliged to make amends in some way. I don't know just what Ozma will do to you, because this is the first time one of us has broken a law but you may be sure she will be just and merciful. Here in the Emerald City, people are too happy and contented ever to do wrong, but perhaps you came from some faraway corner of our land, and having no love for Ozma carelessly broke one of her laws. Yes, said Ojo, I've lived all my life in the heart of a lonely forest, where I saw no one but dear Unc Nunky. I thought so, said Tollydiggle, but now we have talked enough, so let us play a game until bedtime. End of chapter 15 Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to these extra episodes of The Patchwork Girl of Oz. I'm your host, D.B. Spitzer, and if you want to help this show and make sure that it is here in the future, you can always go to pgttcm.com and learn how to be a patron, not through Patreon, but through podbean.com, and it helps the show, and if you're interested, I have things like coloring books, and uh, which I'm updating stuff for an RPG that I'm working on, that I'm updating as I'm working on it, 
and I haven't any plans for any extra episodes yet. And if, uh, you know, that's not enough interaction for you, how about something that you can wear? Go to pgttcm.com, hit that shop button. You'll find shirts for this show. You'll find shirts for Dave's show. There's probably some Articulate Warbling shirts in there. Anyway, everything that you find on pgttcm.com, you'll find there. And of course, hey, bunnyslippers.com. Check out their Highland Cow Slippers. They're pretty cool. I like them. They keep my feet warm. And they dust the floor as I walk around, which actually, no, I sweep, so that's not even a thing. Anyway, hey, let me know that you listen to the show. I want to I wanna know if you're actually out there. I, I, I get numbers, but I don't know if it's just bots these days. So thank you so much for listening, and stay safe, stay clean, stay out of other people's moist throat zone moist vapor zone moist whatever it is just you know that's bad news and uh i i can't think of anything else but you know hey stay safe if if you're working and listening to this hey i'm i'm right there with you i I, i've got a job packaging food and shipping it out and yeah i know we have uh folks shipping our stuff through amazon constantly and ups and all the people out there are doing hard work you know what? And uh, just a shout out to the folks at Panco. Uh, look up uh, mushroomjerky.com. That's 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 something out there. It's it's super shelf stable. You can do things like take like a quart of milk, throw some in there, microwave it for about three minutes. You got yourself some mushroom soup. Anyway, that's just a tip from me. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, thank you. Uh, pan mushroom for employing me and also creating a product that's like really good uh tasty and wonderful uh during this time of need when people need something other than just i don't know potato chips or something it's a plant-based protein and it's jerky and you know what hey everyone you know what stay safe stay awesome and uh Oh, man, I just don't want to get off the microphone because that means that it's 